Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Now, we're doing a series in Proverbs right now. And so, I thought it'd be interesting if we went to a couple of places. One would be Jesus and the other would be Proverbs, just to let you know generally what the Proverbs are about. So, which one are you going to do first? Proverbs 1. If you've got your Bible, turn to Proverbs 1. Thereafter, we're going to be going to the 12th chapter of Matthew. If you'd please stand in reverence to the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, To the youth knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Matthew chapter 12, 33-37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with uh, Mr. Matt as he brings this sermon today. Father, I pray you just give us wisdom, and that we would feel, fear you, Lord, in a righteous way, and that um, through that we would just be drawn closer to you, um, and that you would just touch us today, Lord. Help us to watch our tongues. Um, later on in the New Testament, you compare it to uh, um, a ship, a ship's rudder. And so, Father, it's a powerful thing. So just help us today, Lord. Help our hearts to be open in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. First of all, some words about the Proverbs. Uh, these date back to Solomon. If you remember, Solomon uh, came right after David, the great king. After Solomon, there's going to be a major breakup. But during Solomon's time, God blessed Israel. And one of the ways he blessed them was he gave Solomon some of these Proverbs, some wisdom. And so this is handed on to us. Solomon and his circle thinking these great thoughts, put them on paper. We are the recipients of some of these great things. I want to clarify some things about the Proverbs. First of all, they're not prophecies, nor are they promises. Uh, For instance, it says here that in Proverbs 10.27, that the years of the wicked will be cut short, while the righteous live long and the prosperous lives. Well, it says in another place that the righteous will have abundant food, but the wicked will go hungry. Then it says in another place, as well you know, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, first off, this is, these are not promises because usually that's the sort of thing that happens. But are there exceptions to that rule? Yes, there are. So what this ends up being is 
general truths that are concise, that are memorable, and they do, in fact, describe common life experience in the areas of life that God wants us to pay attention to. And he wants us to be wise because typically when a number of us are wise, really good things happen. When we're wicked, really bad things happen. But can a wicked man be rich? Now, rich, one would think that's a good thing. Rich, could he live long? That's a good thing. Yes, the wicked can occasionally do that. And the righteous occasionally will be poor. And the righteous will occasionally have their lives cut short. We know that. And by the way, on this kid thing, (laughs) raise up a kid in the way he should go. He's only won't depart from it. Have you ever known some child raised up perfectly and later went astray? They're moral agents, of course. They can go away. But on the whole, this is truth. We want to raise up our children well because when we do, good things tend to happen. These are not promises, but they are general truths that Jesus wants us to pay attention to, that the Father wants us to pay attention. Uh, wants us to pay attention to, that the Spirit will bless when indeed we take these things seriously. Now, how important are these topics? Well, today we talk about the tongue, the mouth, words that come out of our lips. And how important is that? Jesus just said, by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So I'm going to tell you, it sounds to me like it's pretty important stuff. It sounds to me like it's eternal judgment kind of stuff. And so I want to pay attention, don't you? If you knew you only had 24 hours to live and you're going to be judged by your words, would that make a difference as to what you would say in the next 24 hours? And y'all, we don't know that that's not true. That you only have 24 hours, maybe another five minutes. Wouldn't you like your words to reflect the holiness of God in that time? Paul picks up on this theme when he says to the church at Ephesus, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what is helpful for building others up. And so today, we just got six points we'd like to make on what the Proverbs seem to teach on the tongue, on the mouth, on words that come out of our bodies. Now, having said this, let me say, there are so many Proverbs on the tongue on the mouth. If you'll just put in tongue into your search engine, you'll see a whole bunch of them in Proverbs. Put mouth in the search engine, a whole bunch of them in Proverbs. I mean, there's no way we could cover them all. But I'm just putting forth to you six things that I saw that I think are important that we probably ought to pay attention to. Uh, Make sure you make a regular study out of Proverbs. Number one, there's beauty in a righteous word. Uh, Chapter 25, verses 11 to 12 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. So sometimes it might come across as, ooh, oh, that was so great, thank you. And then sometimes it might come across as a reproof. We talked about that not long ago from this pulpit, and we need to listen to that as well. James Stalker in the 1891 Yale Lectures said, this, this stuff, it seems like the frailest of all weapons. I mean, for what is a word? It's only a puff of air, a vibration trembling in the atmosphere for a moment, and then disappears. Yet though it be only a weapon of air, the word is stronger than the sword of the warrior. And you all know that to be true. Because you all have been the recipients of words that helped and words that 
hurt. And sometimes those words can really hurt. Let's talk about the positive example just a moment. I uh, had an English teacher uh, that I wanted to take when I was a senior. And I wanted to take her because my my, uh, brother, who's smart and a good writer and a good thinker, had had her. And my sister, who's a good writer and a good thinker, had her. And so I wanted to take Betty Nebergall for English. Unfortunately, she taught honors English, and I wasn't an honor student. I know that's hard to believe. I wasn't an honor student, and so I, I had to go finagle my way. And the best way to finagle my way in was just go talk to Mrs. Nebergold. I just went up to her and says, my name is Matt Friedemann. You know, Dick and Lisa's brother. Ah, yeah, she says, yeah. said, I'd like to be in your honors English class. And she's got to think in that moment, well, he's a freedman, he's brilliant. Of course, come into the class. Little knowing, I'm a freedman, and I'm the not brilliant freedman. But I got in, and I started doing some writing for her. Never done much writing before, but I started doing some writing for her. And one day on a paper in red ink, this didn't even come out of her mouth. It came off her pen. She goes, you have the freedom and flair. <sighs> the freedom and flair. Now, that might have been an insult. I don't know. But I read it as a compliment. And I thought, whoa, she sees something of Dick in me. She sees something of Lisa in me. How great is this? And you know something? Uh, I don't think I am nearly as good as a writer as Dick or Lisa, honestly. But the truth is, across the years, I've done a lot more writing than them simply because their teacher thought I had the freedom and flair. And I decided to start putting stuff down into words on paper and and through books and from a pulpit. I guarantee you, a lot more than my brother and sister ever have and maybe combined. But the point isn't that I've done more because I don't think I've done nearly as well. But I did more because one woman had some words on a piece of paper written in ink for me. Y'all, that's the power of an aptly spoken word. It can change the direction of a life. Now, the other part of this is, watch out, (laughs) because there is a rabbi named Joseph uh, Talushkin. Talushkin has lectured on the powerful impact of words. And he asked the audiences, could you go 24 hours without saying any negative or any uncharitable thing about to or for another person? Anything negative. Can you do that? And the vast majority of any audience he's ever spoken to says, no, we cannot go 24 hours without saying something negative. And uh, Talashkin says, well, those who can't answer yes must admit you've got a problem. He says, when you can't say yes to these things, we know you've got a problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind things about others, then you are addicted to negativity and to an evil tongue. And you need to repent of your addiction. I wonder... We probably ought to have 12-step programs for bad tongues. So, the beauty of the righteous word, oh my goodness, it can do amazing things. 
And we know the opposite is true too, which is why we go now to point two. There's the tongue of discretion. Solomon says in chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. May you maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. 10.13, he says, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. 11.23, he says, A prudent man keeps knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools shouts out folly. So these words, discretion, discerning, prudent. I wouldn't call those, wow, I like those words. That's what I want people to say about me. But on the day of judgment, it will be a pretty cool thing if the Lord would say, discerning tongue, Friedman, good job. Prudent tongue, Matt, way to go. Discretion means to be careful. Listen to wisdom and insight. Be careful. Be careful. Discerning means uh, the opposite, basically, of lacking good judgment. So you've got good judgment with your tongue. Prudent means sound and cautious. None of these things, so I want to say, boy, no, I want to be bold. I want to be out there. I want to be doing things that are crazy for Jesus. And the Lord says, that's fine. Do crazy things for Jesus. Just make sure that tongue of yours is prudent and discerning. Now, some of you know this, not everybody does, but I've had a, a, a mini life as a talk show host for radio. And I've been on TV quite a bit, and I have written a newspaper column. If you want to be successful, let's just stay with the radio talk show thing for a moment. If you want to be successful and be known in the business of opinion, you've got to get rid of this discerning, discretion, prudent stuff. No one will listen to you if you're prudent, discerning, and careful. They don't want to listen to that. We want to talk it up, not with sound and cautious judgment. We want to be out there on the edge, and basically we want to talk about people, negative about people. It's hard to make it a go in the talk show world if you don't have enemies. Usually it's nice to have one clear enemy, but multiple enemies that you're striking out against. You just want to make sure we're fighting the good fight against this person and we're going to be negative about them over and over and over again. In fact, if you want to trust this program for anything, trust us to be negative about the enemy over and over and over again. So I have a tough time even listening to talk radio anymore because I figured it out. It took me a while to figure it out. I didn't figure it out when I was doing it. All I knew was I'm in a numbers game. And the most famous talk show guy in human history says, the whole purpose of my program is to get the most people listening possible so I can charge big bucks for advertising to make me rich. It's a numbers game. Now, I never got rich doing this. I can guarantee you that. But I knew about the numbers game. And the radio show, sometimes if you uh, subscribe to the Nielsen ratings or whatever the radio thing is for the numbers, they will let you know. If you subscribe to them, you got the numbers. I never belonged to a radio station. I actually got the numbers. We always found out the numbers from somebody else. But everybody in the business knew what your number was for the month. And you knew how you were doing. And if you wanted to be sweet, kind, and gentle, you weren't going to win the numbers game. You've got to go for the jugular. I'm just asking the question today. If that's how you get the numbers, is it a Jesus business 
that we ought to be into. Now, we're all in the opinion business. Every one of us. Because every day you're asked about your opinion about something. The weather stinks. Freezing. It's cloudy. Those clouds, Africa would love to have those clouds right now. A little wet out there, it's a little slippery. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, there's some parts of the world that would really dig having a little slippery in their life right now. And on it goes, y'all. Whether it's the weather or your sports team or whatever it is, the first thing I tend to do if I'm not thinking is I go to the negativity and it comes out of my mouth. And it doesn't matter if it's politicians or people or situations or the weather or whatever, we've got to make sure that we're not letting negativity get the best of us because that's not careful, that's not discerning, that doesn't show discretion, it's not prudent. We've got to be careful with it. Now, our text for the day, Jesus says, careless word. So we looked that up today, coming to, coming to uh, the church. Looked up the word careless. Basically, it's lazy. It's not evil even. It's lazy. And lazy is you're not thinking when you're talking. Now, how many ever careless with your words? I mean... Do you always think through your words before you say them? Who does that? But the Lord says, watch out for careless words. That will be judged. I'm thinking, whoa, i got to start thinking. <laughs> i got to turn it on and start saying, the thing I'm about ready to say, is it of the Lord? Is it something that will please him? If I'm to die in the next 24 minutes or 24 hours or 24 days, in that time period will the Lord say, Matt, your words were discerning, they were prudent, they were of me, way to go. Now, third thing is simply this. The mouthy fool is a ruined and he will be ruined. The wise in heart accept the commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruins. 10.8. 10.8. In 10.10, 10, it says, He who winks maliciously causes grief. I've already told you this. I don't think it says means stop winking, but the whole point was, if that's not a good thing in your culture, watch out. But then he says, And a chattering fool comes to ruin. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. That's 10.8, 10.10, There are various words for the English, fool. But here it indicates that they despise wisdom, they mock when guilty, they are quarrelsome, they are licentious. So we shouldn't be surprised that these things impact the use of our tongue. And when they do, Proverbs here then suggests that the wise know how to submit. Your tongue does not belong to you. Say it. My tongue does not belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. So you need to submit that tongue to the Lord. Don't chatter your life away. You forsake maliciousness and you store up knowledge, yes, even with that mouth. One more thing. Ruin here is a Hebrew word which means to throw down or cast aside. The chattering fool, in other words, becomes quickly irrelevant. The wise stay extremely relevant. And I want my words to continue on for generations if possible, but it will only happen if I repent from being a chattering fool that just wants to jump into every conversation and give my opinion regardless of whether it's Christ-like 
holy, righteous, or not. Number four, the righteous and their tongues of refreshment. It says in 10.11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Hmm. Boy, think about that. My mouth could be a fountain of life. Back in these days, there's this dry Palestinian country, and people were forever trying to find new sources of water, and they would do anything to find water. So the root for fountain here denotes the action of really digging and trying to find this water because if you get flowing water, you've done something great, not just for you, but for your family and for your culture. And I think many people are looking for sources of refreshment, don't you? Many people in this culture today are looking for sources of refreshment. And I'm just wondering if we're willing to give them sources of refreshment. Now I get... And I'm, I'm, I live here too much myself. I get the fact that many of us want to bemoan what's happening in our culture. Jesus says, yeah, but I'm at work in your culture. You know this, right? <laughs> I know things aren't going well. I'm at work in your culture, and some things are going extremely well. And that's true of this congregation, too. Things, some things are going extremely well. Focus on these things and figure out how can we expand those things so that more people might hear this gospel, so that more people might be attracted to this gospel. I was very interested in this home, and I was trying to find it, couldn't find it, but it was, it was an actual home with an actual mother talking about it. But they said, we decided that in our house on Sunday, we were going to do something different, that everybody in the house is going to speak only positive things for that day. So every Sunday comes around, only positive stuff spoken in this home. Now, they had teenage kids, and the teenage kids brought uh, their friends into the house. And pretty soon, their house was flooded with kids because they learned that no matter how hard you try to drive the conversation negative, they would always drive it back positive, and pretty soon it just became a refreshing pool of a house to be at. Wouldn't it be great to belong to a church like that? Listen, you know I believe in reproof. I just preached on it. I search for reproof now. I go on listening tours and try to find people critical of me. I mean, I, I get some of you want to be those people. Sign up for it. I'll, I'll let you in. But the point is, what if we kept our reproof to that one-on-one interaction And we made sure that the rest of our verbiage was refreshing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Refreshing in our praise. Refreshing in our thanksgiving to the Lord. Refreshing in what we see He's doing in our lives and what He wants to do through our lives. What if we went on a positivity kick with our mouth? Oh my goodness. You suppose we become attractive? Fifth thing is this, lies, gossip, and slander. We haven't done this for a while here, so uh, I'd like maybe by a show of hands if you'd like to get involved in this today. We've always said that Dayspring is a non-gossiping church, all right? That is, if you have something negative to say about somebody, you'll say it to them, to them, to them. But behind their back, you'll say positive things. So we want to be a non-gossiping church. Now, can I say something? 
I've noticed something about this COVID thing, that uh, people get a little bit snippy. I mean, in the church. I mean, all across the country. I found just a, listen, our church, I think we've done really great on this, but honestly, the thing that has made Dayspring unique is that we are every week flowing out to the places of need in our culture, places of need in our community, and most of that's been shut down to us. And so what we find is, I mean, I've got a little thesis here that this gossip and slander thing tends to diminish when you are spending outside communicating good news to your community. And it increases when you're not, and all, you, all of a sudden now your whole purview of the world is this church right here on Sundays, and you tend to be mean-spirited people. Well, all that stuff shut down to us. Now, not all of it, but most of it's been shut down to us. And now what are we doing? Well, I think if we're not careful, what we can become is a snippy people, negative people. We're starting to say, well, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated too. I hope you're frustrated, but for all the right reasons. Not I'm frustrated because I'm mad at David because he just, just told me there was some David. And I start saying, you know, maybe, just maybe, I can be positive about David. If I have a problem with David, let me go talk to David about it. And that what we would do is say, no lies, no gossip, no slander, not in this church, no way. And if it comes up, I'm going to nip it in the bud, at least with, let's take this in a positive direction, if not with a reprimand. We don't do that here at Dayspring. Thank you, David. Wow. I got one amen out of that. That we don't gossip here at Dayspring. Amen. No, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Anybody into this? I want a covenant together to say, and covenant basically means I'm signing on to this deal, covenant together that I will not gossip, particularly about people in this church. If you are on board with that, even if you're a visitor here today, don't care, just put your hand up and say, count me in as the non-gossiper. And if you didn't put your hand up, leave. <laughs> you were late there, but thank you. Yeah. Oh, if that's the case, I'm in. I'm not a hand raiser. You know, I don't do that. It almost looks charismatic. I don't want to be that. But no, I didn't know he was going to say get out. No, really. If you're not committed to non-gossip, you're committed to the other thing. And we don't want it around here. It's not of the Lord. It tears places down. You say, well, but you don't understand. I'm not able to minister. He used to go out to a barson clinic. He used to go out to the prison. He used to go to John Hopkins. He used to go to the nursing homes. Now I can't do anything. I'm getting a little ticked off. Okay, be ticked off, but not at the body of Christ for crying out loud. We're positive about the body. Remember, we're the body of Christ. When you slander a a member of the body of Christ, you slandered Jesus. Body of Christ, right? You were that. You are that body. Don't slander Jesus. Just don't do it. Not a good idea. So, this gossip planet slander thing, I, uh, I remember, uh, my, by the way, these verses. 10.18, he who conceals his hatred has lying lips. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. With his mouth, the godless destroy his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous can escape. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. I had a mentor in seminary that uh, 
poured his life into me and others. But uh, it was a small group. We'd meet over his house every week. We'd eat together with him every week. Whenever we need him, we'd call him up anytime, night or day. I mean, he was, he was a great mentor. He, uh, he was up for review by the Board of Trustees. And the faculty, his own faculty, and some liked this guy, some not really crazy about him, didn't matter. The faculty said, yeah, but there's no question about it. He has done a great job. He invests in students. He's a great classroom performer. And so they were going to take him to the board now for the opportunity to be full professor. He's an associate professor. want to make him full professor. And uh, they did it. Unfortunately, there was a vice president on that board. Now, I know this because I'm the student council president, and that means I'm on the board. I can't believe they do that, but they put the city council president on the board. So I'm at all the meetings. And uh, I happen to walk up where a vice president is dogging, and I mean maliciously, with a grimace on his face, just dogging my guy, my mentor. And I know what he's saying is wrong because he's saying, you know, he, he does a secret society stuff. And who knows what they talk about in the secret society. I walk up, I said, wait a minute. It's not secret. I'm the student body president, and I announced it at the opening convocation. If you want to know what they do, this is what they do. They fast, they pray, they read the Bibles every day. Actually, they fast twice a week. They memorize three scriptures a week. They go to church on Sunday. They tie to their church. That's what they do. Somehow the conversation moved on away from me and moved over there to the other corner. And I'm thinking, man. So I didn't know how to act in this situation. I didn't know what to do. I'm just a stupid kid. Didn't know what to do. All I knew was, my guy's in trouble. My mentor's in trouble. And sure enough, he didn't get full professor. They humiliated him. I mean, they humiliated him. So it happened that out of that entire scenario, I went to my mentor and I said, I want you to know what happened, why you didn't get it. There was one voice and only one voice that turned in multiple voices because of that one voice. This is the guy who did it. This is what he said. What was interesting about that is we all got together for lunch with all the rest of the seminary after that. This is not my seminary, by the way. All the rest of the seminary, by the way. And when we were going through the line, that vice president just was nothing but generous and wonderful and swell to my mentor. I thought, wow. I told my mentor what had happened. You know what my mentor said? I actually wrote it down. My mentor said, he bit his lip, he absorbed the message, and he said, nothing. He refrained. Pure and simple. He refrained. My estimation of him grew by leaps and bounds in ways that a hundred Bible studies, and I'd been with him for a hundred Bible studies, or a hundred classroom presentations, and I'd been with him for a hundred classroom presentations, couldn't have garnered my respect for him like that singular moment did. To learn not to talk negatively behind someone's back, I'm convinced is a high mark of the sanctified life. In fact, Bill Urey, who's a dear friend of mine, now the National Spokesman for Holiness for the Salvation Army, Bill Urey says, the greatest test of your sanctification is your 
next conversation. Wow. Now let me tell you something that I'm not proud of. After this moment, I talked negatively about my mentor. It was about 10 years later. I was here now. I said something snippy, not even a few things, multiple things snippy. And I remembered back to that moment what he had done when I told him. And he had every right to get mad. Every right except no kingdom right. But just every general principle in life would tell us he should have got ticked off and he should have railed. He didn't. He just bit his lip, absorbed it, and got better. So I talked about him, gossiped about him about 10 years later. I felt so bad about it, having thought about that moment. I called him up. I says, uh, this is what I said about you. I just want to tell you, I got no reason to say that. It's not right. It's not good. It's not justifiable. I'm so very sorry. I wrote down what he said to that, too. Forget about it, Matt. We're here to make disciples. Let you and me get busy doing that. Number six, the tongue can heal. In 1225, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. 1218, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 15.4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I've told you this before, but I just wanted to throw it out there today because it seemed to fit. Uh, Caleb, I was once a great high school quarterback too. Second string on a zero and nine team, but still, I, I felt myself great. Uh, kind of like Johnny Unitas, you know. I, I was, uh, was going to be something special if I just ever got my opportunity. And, and by the way, one day I got my opportunity. I mean, I got my opportunity. It was my junior year, uh, and we went three and six that year. We were a terrible team. We were never a good team. Football's just a disaster in Great Bend in those years. But no one would ever admit this, and Caleb, your second string guy would never admit this to you, but I, I'm going to tell you what second stringers do. We support our first stringers with our face and with our mouth. But in our hearts, we can't wait that they get hurt. We are waiting. We are not quite praying. We know that would be wrong. But the next step down from praying, we're doing that. So, oh, Lord, if something just could happen to him for, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes, that would be a great thing. It happened. Jay McDorman is the quarterback, and Jay goes down. I mean, he goes down. I saw him get hit, and I thought, ooh, ouch. And he got up, and, he, and he's, he's doing like this. He says, coach, coach. And then the Hallelujah Chorus started in. And the Hallelujah Chorus sounds like this on a football field when you're the second stringer. Coach, send Friedman in. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. I mean, whoo. So you know what you do. I'm always two steps behind the coach. Coach doesn't know that. I'm always two steps behind. I want to learn what I can, trying to get the play calling down. I'm, I'm always right behind him. Always, he doesn't know it, but I'm always right behind him. And because he didn't know that, he looks out at Jay and he says, 
McDormand, you get your blankety-blank back in there. Because that blankety-blank freedman doesn't know his blankety-blank way out to the blankety-blank huddle. By the way, it's true. I'd never been out there before, so I'd never, I didn't know my way out. But uh, those words. I, uh, I remember what, what happened next. You know, I was all up. I had my mouthpiece in, had my chin strap on. I took off my chin strap, took off my mouthpiece, took off my helmet. Wasn't supposed to do that. I just went back to the fence. And I waited until the end of the game where I walked off the field and basically never returned to football again. It killed me. Now, there's a guy that was named Don Duncan, who was the basketball coach. He didn't know nothing about track and field. But for some reason, he, he decides he wants to coach track and field this year. Well, I happen to be in track and field. In fact, I'm terrible at football, but not bad at track and field. I was like fourth. Uh, last year, I was fourth in the league, you know, or, you know, I actually had a throw at one point that was, that was uh, ranked pretty high in the state. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe I, maybe I just keep going with this. Maybe I can get good at it. Maybe I can get better at it. And I'm ex- pretty excited about the discus throw. Well, who cares about the discus? I want to be a quarterback. I want to be the point guard. I want to be a great wrestler. I want to be something. But who cares about the discus? But just happy to be what I'm good at. And Don Duncan, the basketball coach, I don't know if he knew about it or not. I've asked him about it. He swears a day that he didn't know about it. I think at the time he, in fact, knew exactly what had happened to me. But I remember he put his arms around my shoulder and said something about state record and said something about best that ever was at Great Bend High School. We're going to set a record that no one will ever break. I just heard these things. I thought, whoa, really? Wow. And we started thinking high and great and awesome. Um, by the way, years later, I ran into him. Uh, I was actually working on my PhD at the time. And the last course I was ever going to take was in statistics. Now, I think I've told you I can't add, subtract, multiply, or divide. I'm a dumb as a rocket math. And uh, I told Mary, I don't think I can pass a statistics course. She says, you get, <laughs> you get in there. You know, she's working, you know, every day. She's working 40 hours. You get in there, and you better pass this course. So I'm thinking, oh, gosh, okay. So I walk in, and I'm thinking, I'm doomed. I can't do this. And I look up, and there sits Don Duncan. Basketball coach, yes, but math teacher. I sat down and says, what are you doing here, coach? Work on my PhD. Well, me too. Last course. I'm scared. Why are you scared? Because I'm dumb. He says, don't worry, we'll get you through this. And he did get me through it. I said, coach, you remember that? You remember that time when you came out and told me how great I was and how good things are going to get? And you just basically poured words into my life that were so healing and so important, so good. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, remember, man, we we broke that record just about every day. His face kind of went weird. I said, didn't we? He says, well, Matt, I'm going to tell you. To be a good coach, you've got to be a good liar. I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, you know, when it was out there, that red flag was out there at the state record? Yeah. He said, well, it wasn't the state record. It was about 185 was the state record. 175 is where it was. 
you beat it pretty much every day, but not quite the state record. You were beating something less than the state record. I said, Coach, he says, I know. I just felt like you needed it. You need to feel like you could do it. By the way, I remember him being out in the field at Garden City one day when I threw, and uh, it landed, and he was out there. He shouldn't have been out there. It was illegal for him, but he didn't care. He, he saw the discus land. He went like this. Whoo. And it was a third-ranked throw in the nation. And uh, he said about s- setting a record in that high school that would never be broken, I'm 61 now. Set the record when I was 18. Went back there the other day. Still there. I don't think it's because I'm a great thrower. I think I was a pretty good thrower. But I had a guy come into my life when I was shattered, and he healed me with his verbiage, with his words. Y'all, that's the power. Now, let me tell you about words. One of the best descriptors of the Son of God was the Word. You can read all about it in the first chapter of John. He says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, as the story goes on, that Word loved us so much that He taught us. He spoke words into our lives. Some were words of reproof. But many of them were words of healing and of bolstering and your potential as a great participant in the kingdom of God. And then he loved us so much, the word died for us. They stuck the word in a tomb and they said something like, that ought to take care of that. But the word was resurrected. And the word today wants to live in you, and wants to live in me, and wants to live in your mouth. One of the greatest marks of your sanctification is what comes out of your mouth. Will you please stand? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Word, become flesh. Come and plant yourself in us, for your kingdom, for your glory. And even this week, can you sanctify our tongues? We're going to say this at Dayspring. The test of our sanctification is the next week of conversations. Test us and help us by grace to test well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless Dayspring. Thank you.